In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, and we are continuing in chapter 11 of St. Matthew's Gospel. You remember that we have been for several weeks in chapter 10 where Jesus sends the disciples out. He says, go and do, and he prepared them for how to do that. Uh, We are skipping over a couple of verses here at the beginning of chapter 11. This is why I've been commending to you all to read the gospel um, from beginning to end for yourselves and the quiet of your own study so that you can uh, catch some of these uh, pieces that we're going to be skipping over. We save in the lectionary some portions for feast days and other parts of the year. And so what happens is that at the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus changes venues. He moves. And whenever Jesus moves in the gospel he goes to another town uh, the theme changes and the focus of his teaching uh, had changes uh, slightly in its focus so he goes to the cities in the region of Galilee and uh, we read about the uh, disciples of John the Baptist coming to him and asking him are you the Messiah are you the one that we're supposed to be following and who is John and Jesus says John is Elijah that has come to prepare the way and that you need to listen to his preaching that preaching of repentance and so he's saying that that message of repentance is uh, essential and uh, so then Jesus changes his focus again from talking to those that are around him from talking to the disciples and he changes his focus to the father and he starts out with this uh, praise of thanksgiving to the father he says thank you father so Jesus has not only now changed his uh, place his physical place but now he's changed his focus And it's to the Father. And it's very important that we see that he begins this by thanking the Father, by praising him. That's an essential aspect for us and our lives and our uh, relationship with the Lord, uh, that we start out by praising him. So often we start out talking to God about our needs or what it is that we want him to do, or won't you please do this for me or do that for me, or I think you should do this or save me from that. And we don't start out with that praise, that that praise is what gets us into that uh, right focus. That's what brings us into right relationship and harmony with God. And, And the psalm that we read this morning is all about that. It's all about that lowering ourselves so that we can be um, at peace with the Lord. So the first thing he does is praise the Father, and then he tells us who the Father is. And this is what Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer, that we praise the Lord and that we say who it is that he is. So he says that uh, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. When we read that, when we see uh, that he's the Lord of heaven and earth, we should immediately be going back to Genesis. That phrase, heaven and earth, should take us directly back to the first chapter of Genesis where we read that he is the God who is the creator of heaven and earth. So uh, that is to say that he's the creator of those things that are seen and unseen. This is what we say in the creed, right? He's the God of all things that are seen and unseen. So even those things like the the principles of physics or what we know about uh, atomic structure, what we know about mathematics, those things that we can't perceive with our eyes or touch with our hands are revealed to us or created uh, by God and that there's this this truth uh, that is invisible to the naked eye that God has uh, both uh, created and that he sustains. And so Jesus is saying, this is the God of the whole universe who's created all things, who's created all the laws of the known world and that first we have to start with thanking him. 
And then Jesus thanks him for something very specific. He thanks him uh, that the father has uh, restored the eyes of those who are innocent to the children rather than to uh, those that we might perceive as being wise. Now he's not talking about uh, real wisdom here, right? He's talking about people that think that they're wise, people that think that they know uh, what it is that they're supposed to know rather than those who say, I don't know. I, I need to be instructed. I need to be uh, taught, right? And so it's about an attitude here, that we have the attitude of children. The attitude of a child is to say, teach me, instruct me, show me the way, show me what it is that you want me to do, rather than having the attitude of pride where we say, I'm okay. I'm okay, you're okay, don't worry about me, I've got enough. That's an attitude that shuts the windows of our hearts and our minds and doesn't allow us to get the wisdom of God, doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to breathe truth into us, rather than having that open, humble attitude uh, that we need. So that humble attitude is what uh, plugs us into the, the grace of God, to the power of God. And that humility as being a central aspect of who God is has been taught to us since the very beginning of the scriptures. Jesus reveals who he is in the scriptures. He reveals who he is through uh, Moses, through the law and the prophets, right? When he takes the disciples aside, when he teaches those on the road to Emmaus, what does he do? He opens the scriptures and he says, see, I told you who I was and how I would be coming. And we see that here very explicitly in Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah is one of those who's born in captivity. You'll remember that Judah is taken into captivity and they're taken to Babylon. You remember that? In about uh, 580 or so, they're taken into captivity. And so Zechariah is one of those people born a captive, right? Born a slave. And he's one of those that is released and is allowed to go back to Judah to restore Judah, to restore that nation and to restore temple worship. So Zechariah is one of these first generation to return whose business is all about the structure of society, getting law and order in place, building walls, restoring the worship of the temple. It's an incredible task that he has to do and he's reminding the people who their God is, how it is that their God is different than other gods, how it is that the God of Israel is so extraordinarily different than the gods of the other nations. The gods of the other nations uh, is authoritative, right? He's this uh, strong uh, ruler and, and the God of Israel is this humble servant. And so Zechariah shows us two very important glimpses into the nature of Christ, the Messiah, who is to come. He says, first of all, that he is humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is exactly what Jesus does, right? And to, and this entry into Jerusalem that we celebrate on Palm Sunday, right? That he rides on that, that humble donkey. He comes in as that humble servant. He isn't this uh, great war leader who's on this great stallion who marches in with armies. He comes in humility. So this is the first thing that we have to know is that he is this humble servant who enters into Jerusalem. Then he further humbles himself in an even more extraordinary way, and that is when Jesus allows himself to die, when he dies on the cross. And if you remember, we know that when he dies, he descends into hell. Right, That he goes into hell and he, he opens those gates of hell and he restores uh, those ancient righteous ones uh, to come up and to be resurrected. And so Zechariah also tells us that that's going to happen. 
right? He says, because of the blood of my covenant with you, because of the blood of Christ, because of that blood covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. This is another name for hell, the waterless pit, right? This is that dusty place that the souls of the dead depart to. And he says, I will even lower myself, humble myself to go down into hell, into that waterless pit and to restore the righteous ones into salvation. So this is a model for us, an understanding of who our God is and who it is that we're supposed to be in Him. If even God Himself would lower Himself to become a man and then lower Himself to ride on a donkey and then lower Himself even to descend into hell, how much more do we need to lower ourselves? That lowering of ourselves, St. Paul describes as the law of God. And St. Paul, as we've been seeing in his letters over and over again, uh, shows us uh, two parallels, right? He shows us uh, two basic principles that uh, we have to choose between. And so here in Romans, he's saying there's the law of God, there's the law of righteousness, and then there's the law of sin and death, right? And he also calls it the law of flesh. Now, St. Paul is not saying that flesh is evil. He's not saying that the creation is bad. He's, uh, our bodies are good. We're created in the image of God. We're made uh, to have dignity. Our bodies are to be treated with dignity. So this isn't about the creation or our bodies being bad. What St. Paul is identifying for us is the weakness of our flesh, the weakness of our temptations. And so we can think back to how it is that Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Do you remember that? He tempts him in three basic ways. He tempts him with lust, which is make your body comfortable, right? Have some bread, have some comfort for your body. Can anybody besides me relate to that? Right? That temptation that we have to always be seeing comfort for ourselves. Then there's the comfort of fame, the the temptation of fame that we be recognized. We want that so badly, don't we? We want to be recognized for what we've done. We'll do all kinds of things to point out what it is that we've done and what it is that we've added, right? To, to give our, our uh, resume to people, right? Because we want that kind of fame. We want that glory. And then finally, power. We're tempted by power. We really want people to do what we want them to do. And we'll do all kinds of cartwheels, won't we? And shenanigans to try to get people to do what it is that we want them to do. So this is the law of sin. This is the law of the flesh that St. Paul says tempts all of us. And then when St. Paul kind of, he almost comes to this place of hopelessness, of despair in his letter, doesn't he? He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's like, this is too much. It's too much temptation for me. And so how does St. Paul respond when he says, the temptation is so hard, it's so hard for me to do what's right. What is his response? It's the same response that Jesus had. Praise of God. He starts with praise of God. It's essential. Essential that we start with the praise of God. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's where he starts. And he again not only thanks God, but he identifies who he is. As Jesus had said, he's the God of heaven and earth. St. Paul is saying, he's the God of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's where we have to start. And then St. Paul shows us that what we have to do is we have to allow and participate with our minds being changed so that we can recognize and participate in the ways of God. Christian anthropology is different than other anthropologies, or psychologies, if you will. In Christian anthropology, the center of a person is their heart. The heart is, is right here, the place of the heart. And Jesus says he'll judge our hearts, 
right? Our hearts are what we think of as our, our thoughts and our emotions, right? It's our quickest response to something. The first thought we have, the first emotion that we have. And so many of us just react, don't we? We don't really think about what we say. We don't really think about the decisions that we make. We just react. And that's the place of the heart. So the heart is just this place where our normal thoughts and feelings are. Then St. Paul is saying we have to raise above that, raise above just being reactive to a place in our minds that are instructed by Holy Scripture and by prayer so that we can identify the ways of God and we can choose those ways. So then we just have to be instructed. We have to know, okay, God is humble, right? God serves. God wants me to do what's right. He wants me to tell the truth. He wants me to have chastity and fidelity and, and, and all of these things, right? We have to know the ways of God. But then even that isn't enough, is it? St. Paul talks about, and the scriptures talk about, this higher level of decision-making and acting that we call the soul. So the soul even rises above the heart and the mind, and the soul is the one that perceives. That's the part that we say we were created in the image of God. We have an imagination, and our imaginations can perceive the ways of God and we can, we can have our, our minds and our souls illumined so that we truly come to an understanding of who God is and His purposes. This is the highest place of understanding and action. And this is when we say, I had to use self-control. I had to really use my will. I had to really struggle. That's the place of the soul. That's that highest point where we come into this deepest knowledge and mystical understanding of who God is. And the Holy Spirit promises that he will transform us. Indeed, Jesus says, it's he who acts. He's the one that does all this. He doesn't say that we choose him. What does he say? He says... No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So we don't even know Him unless Jesus reveals Himself to us. He's the one that does the revealing. He's the one that does the choosing. He reveals, and all that we can do is respond to that call to come and see. Come and see. And when we respond to that call to come and see, we're immediately saying, I'm not enough, I don't have enough, life is hard, I'm mourning, I'm grieving, I need the Lord. And when we're willing to do that, we're willing in humility to submit to the Lord and to praise Him, we are connected with Him and we receive His burden and His yoke. That's the burden of God. The burden of God is simply to praise Him in humility. That's where we start. The burden and yoke of the Father is to praise Him in humility, to say, Father in heaven, you have created all things in heaven and earth. You are the one that chooses. You are the one that reveals. All power is given to you. All glory is given to you. And when we praise Him with our hearts and our minds and our souls, we are connected to the power of God to have our lives transformed so that He can work through us to do that work of transformation and salvation that we so hunger to see. May our very breath become praise of God.